Hey everyone, welcome to Hit the Apex Podcast. I'm Jawad as always. Thank you for joining me today. It's the 10th of October, 10th of the 10th. That's pretty easy to remember. And it's going to be a special podcast today. Uh, you might have seen up on Twitter last night saying that we're going to do this as a special Bathurst 1000 preview um, podcast, not only talking about the race this year, but some of my favorite Bathurst memories, whether it's the 1000 race or just visiting Bathurst in general. Um, it's just one of those events that all year as a motorsport fan, in particular here in Australia, you really look forward to. And I'm sure, you know, overseas as well, there'll be plenty of attention on it this weekend. So yeah, apart from that, we've got the Japanese Grand Prix on as well. I'm going to start off by talking a bit about that. And then of course, uh, hit the globe at the end taking a look at what else is going on in the world, um, wrapping up with the NRL Grand Final from last weekend, plenty to digest from um, that particular game and some other action on two wheels. So without further ado, um, the Japanese Grand Prix, fan favourite, driver favourite, you could say, embedded in F1 history. Uh, a lot of stuff has happened there in the past. You know, you can look back into the year, late 80s, early 90s, the dramas there between Alan Prost and Ayrton Senna, twice or three times, sorry, that the title's been decided um, over there between those two guys. Um, then you look at um, Raikkonen and Alonso as well, earlier in the... Um, earlier last decade and you know even in the modern era you know we've had some good races Sebastian Vettel of course Roman Grosjean back in 2013 and then it's been a bit of a Mercedes um, fest in the last few years as well uh, since the hybrid era came into Formula One so that's um, a bit about the history I guess um, talking about the present and weather set to affect the race, you know, um, the weekend as a whole, so qualifying looking like it's going to be um, subject to the typhoon that's looming over Japan at the moment, Typhoon Hagibus, and a lot's been talked about that, I've been listening um, in regards especially to the Rugby World Cup that's happening there as well, they've had to cancel a couple of games on Saturday, um, and potentially qualifying could be affected, and they might have to cancel qualifying, so they've sort of come up with some contingencies as well, potentially having to hold qualifying on Sunday if there's no um, chance of running on Saturday. But you'd think that in these sort of conditions or in those sort of conditions that any sort of running would be difficult. And then Sunday, with the typhoon clearing, you know, there still will be a lot of rain and a lot of weather about. So it's going to be very difficult, you could say, you know, could it be a repeat of what we saw at the German Grand Prix this year? Brazil a couple of years ago as well was really, really bad weather-wise. So those two races, you know, there's a one common denominator in that, and that's the the winner, and that's Max Verstappen. So, you know, it's an important race for Red Bull, for Toro Rosso this weekend. The Suzuka Special going to be on debut, the um, upgraded Honda Power unit. So... Honda coming to Suzuka for the first time in um, since they've come back into F1 really in a very competitive position where they could fight for podiums um, with the Red Bull guys and some good results with the Toro Rossos. But if it's going to be a wet race, then you could put your tip on Max to actually win win it. You know, imagine Max Verstappen in a Red Bull Honda winning the Japanese Grand Prix, obviously because Honda sponsor the event, they own the circuit, so it is very much like a homecoming for Honda. 
and for the first time, as I said, in a very competitive position too. So looking back over the hybrid era, though, with um, the Japanese Grand Prix, Suzuka, Mercedes have won um, every race here since 2014. Lewis Hamilton, four out of five for him. Uh, Nico Rosberg taking the victory in 2016, I think. And um, I brought up this stat last year as well, if you recall, um, that Ferrari, the last time they won here was back in 2004 which that's not a very good statistic when you think about it because you've had a lot of guys win in the past. You, you know, your Alonso's in the Renault. You've had McLaren, um, Jensen Button as well, 2011. Then Red Bull winning four of uh, five races between 2009 and 2013, and they were all Sebastian Vettel victories. So, you know, while Vettel's been strong here in the past, you know, Ferrari themselves haven't but um, you've had Lewis Hamilton this week come out and say that um, they'll be hard to beat well Ferrari given their current form um, you know we talked at length about what happened in the Russian Grand Prix where you know that was a win that was uh, gone begging I guess because of their own strategic decisions so hopefully this time round if they do end up on pole position um, they make a better meal of it you know oh, sorry don't make a meal of it and um get that uh, win under the belt because we've had four of the last pole positions go to Charles Leclerc um, in the last four races the win in Russia though slipped so Ferrari have won three of the last four races um, Singapore with Sebastian Vettel of course so it's all just down to them to play their cards right and then there's no stopping them there but the only thing that can really get in their way is the weather now so if um, we do have a crazy race um rainy conditions then you can expect some other contenders up there Leclerc did you know make mistakes in Germany in the wet conditions then again that was how many races ago now and he seems to be seems to have been a reborn driver after the mid-season break so um, maybe it might be a bit different this time but it really is unpredictable at the moment to see how the weekend's going to pan out given that we've got this typhoon looming and I guess the worst case scenario is if there is no no race which I don't think will happen given that you know there's a lot of money that gets put into these events and you know fans as well will be there but at the same time safety is I think one of the big things that um, needs to be considered as well in this situation and you know I say that when you know we've it was last week you know over the weekend that we paused and remembered um, that it was five years ago that you know this time five years ago that we had that terrible Japanese Grand Prix in 2014 which saw that fatal well that eventually fatal crash for Jules Bianchi you know and that just you had to really pause and and reflect because a it's been five years that has gone since that fateful day and b you know you you know with the recent passing of Antoine Hubert as well you know it just makes you stop and wonder about things um even fans you know as fans of motorsport and everything you know you don't you don't question your commitment but it's like you know we've had this loss of life and whatnot and we all go on but um you know you kind of just stop and wonder about you know five years later if for example that that didn't occur you know where Bianchi would be today um, could he be possibly racing in the Ferrari, you know, um, which seemed to be his path. But, um, yeah, sadly, that's not the case. And, you know, 
I guess, few tears shed um, just in reflection and everything. Such a such a great driver, you know, and great memories, you know, just watching him and first time I got to, to meet him as well at the Australian Grand Prix that, earlier that year when he made his debut, um, had a good laugh as well, um, getting his signature, so yeah, and then I've got, of course, his number 17 as well tattooed to my arm, so um, 17, a, a special number for me, and of course that was his um, race number too, so it, it seemed... seemed right as a tribute that I would have I, I did that a few years ago so yeah um hopefully just hopefully fingers crossed touch wood that there isn't anything like that this weekend that you know everything is managed properly um you know if it's not safe to race then you know just don't you know just don't risk it because we don't want a repeat of what happened in 2014 to happen again but of course if you know the FIA, the organisers and everything, including, you know, getting the driver input and everything as well, if it's all managed correctly and it is safe enough to race, then by all means, let's go out and race, you know, let's have another great race, um, see if Ferrari can get up there, beat Mercedes at the circuit that they've dominated, the Red Bull storyline will be a fascinating one too, so, you know, with them as well this weekend, with Toro Rosso, we've got the reigning Super GT champion in Naoki Yamamoto to make his um, FP1 debut so he'll be in the Toroso car FP1 tomorrow so all the Japanese fans will be quite excited to to see that you know Japanese driver um, racing in a Honda powered car that would be very exciting and there's always been talk about Yamamoto-san and potentially even making a switch to F1 you know he's been racing in Super GT he won last year with Jensen Button um, for Honda then you know in the um, you know Super Super Formula as well you know the open wheel category in Japan which um, the likes of Pierre Gasly and Stoffel Van Dorn have um, contested as well he's been pretty good in that too so you know possibly on the cusp of an F1 debut but not likely given that all the seats are pretty much filled and you know if if Honda are in a position to place a driver at Toro Rosso for example then you know you could totally see it happen um who knows maybe next year if um, Pierre Gasly gets sent out of F1 altogether or if Danny Kvyat moves elsewhere so yeah that's an interesting one to follow um Midfield battle, McLaren got the better of uh, Renault in Russia. Can their run continue? I guess it hasn't been the most memorable race for McLaren in recent years, given that they've had Honda reliability troubles. And then last year with their Renault engine, um, they weren't really competitive here either. So you'd think that in the position they're now they're in now that they could um, have a good race um, and beating Renault for the rest of the year will be their objective. And then you've got other guys like... Kimi Raikkonen in the Alfa Romeo, who will be looking to turn around their run of recent form. Of course, Raikkonen's had a pretty miserable run. You could say Haas as well. They, you know, Grosjean's been pretty strong here in the past. Um, Magnussen as well. So, you know, those guys relying on, you know, whatever they learnt in Russia to score those points to be able to have a good weekend here. Well, yeah, then at this stage, it's very hard to predict how the weekend's going to unfold purely just based on um, this typhoon that's coming. All I can say is that I hope everyone stays safe. Um, if you're in Japan this weekend, 
um, whether it's for the, the F1 or for the rugby or just visiting and uh, you stay safe and um, if for the race in particular that they have a safe race, safe weekend on track as well and um, hopefully we have something, um, have an exciting race if it does go ahead which should be likely. So let's uh, go straight into talking about Bathurst then. So that wraps up the F1 stuff. Um, we'll talk all about it next week when it's run and done. So supercars, Bathurst 1000 and also the start of the Enduro Cup too. Favourite time of year, i got to say, for the Supercars Championship. You know, we expand the grid, of course, to accommodate all the co-drivers. And this year, as I've talked about in the previews and previous episodes, that we're going to be starting off at the mountains, so at Mount Panorama. Without the Sandown 500 that we've traditionally had over the last few years as the warm-up race to Bathurst and the limited testing as well for the co-drivers. Uh, they've only had, I think, three days uh, in the week leading up to it at their respective test venues in Winton and um, Queensland Raceway. So with all that in mind, you know, this is going to be a much more interesting Bathurst 1000 because... What you usually do at Sandown is, you know, you iron out all those um, niggling issues, you know, whether it's ergonomics or, you know, pit stop efficiency and everything like that. You know, co-drivers um, who don't really do a lot of racing throughout the year can blow off their, you know, blow off cobwebs and stuff like that and get back into the groove of things. So, you know, without having that 500k race at Sandown previously, um it's going to be a lot more interesting this weekend and you know as well as that you know the aero changes that have gone on for Holden um in the lead up to the previous event at Pukekohe it's been much it's been talked about so much and you know the question I guess you've got to ask is are the Holdens going to have an advantage here is Triple Eight in particular going to be um given an advantage after these changes that you know they've been most vocal about all year since you know we saw the Ford Mustang debut in Adelaide and take both poles, both wins, and then, you know, dominated for so much of the season. And, you know, last time out in Pukekohe, uh, we had Triple Eight looking pretty strong. And I guess on Sunday as well, the win was on for Win Cup if it wasn't for the um, uh, safety car infringement that occurred. So, you know, this weekend, I guess it's going to be a telling tale. And what, what it would say as well is that it would be very disappointing that, you know, we've had all these changes throughout the year and a lot of people will probably come out and say um, that this is um, all to Holden's advantage, you know, like there's already been a lot of discussions on, on social media and on forums and that sort of thing that, yeah, it's all been done to favour Holden, to, to keep Triple Eight happy, blah, blah, blah. I'm not going to get onto that um, bandwagon or hype train whatever you want to call it at this stage i just want a fair and competitive race you know i serious i seriously don't see and i've said this all along all year that i don't see what ford did wrong or you know why you know they've had to make all these changes and in particular now i guess why not give more advantage give more more of an advantage to the nissan altima which you know, who knows if it's going to struggle this weekend, given that the other cars seem to have much more downforce, um, more top speed and everything. They're just better in every sort of respect. 
So at the end of the weekend, if we see Car Triple Eight or Car Ninety Seven come out and win a pretty easy cruisy race, which you know Bathurst is never easy or cruisy, but if they are seen to have been very cruisy towards the checkered flag and and win it that way, then I'm sure there's going to be plenty said. Same thing about the Fords too. So if a Ford car comes out and win, particularly Seventeen with Scott McLaughlin and Alex Premo on board, you know they're going to say, oh, you know Mustang is you know, we've got to nerf it even more, you know, to the point where let's not even have the Mustang in the category anymore. It just seems very, a lot of backward thinking, you know, as much as they're talking about parity, all the, all the big parties and everything and the commentators, as much as they're talking about parity, it's more about, you know, keeping one side happy because, you know, they haven't done a good enough job compared to the others and, you know, seeing, some people comment about the fact that it's not actually to do with the Mustang at all, or partly to do with the Mustang. It's more so the combination of Scott McLaughlin with his engineer, Ludo Lacroix, that's been very um, influential in how that's sort of uh, been for them all year. And they're in a commanding lead in the championship, 590 points as well. So, you know, going, I guess, uh, all guns out this weekend, given that um, Scotty's not won the Bathurst 1000 just yet, as has Shane Van Gisbergen. They both have been in commanding positions. They've both had pole positions here, but just never really quite got it done. You know, they've been there's been heartbreak, you know, 2014. Both those guys, you know, Scott ended up in the wall at the cutting when Gisbergen tried to dive down the outs, uh, dive down the um, around him and then of course Van Gisbergen had that starter motor failure in the pits at the end of the race you know when he was in a position to win it as well so that's a bit of a heartbreak there then 2016 for McLaughlin of course um, being involved with Wind Cup and Garth Tander um, obviously frustrated you know last year um, for the Volvos, you know, those retro liveries as well on the S60s would have been something to see those guys uh, cross over the line first. And, you know, having the solid help of David Wall that day as well as his co-driver, you know, to have McLaughlin and Wall have won it would have been fantastic. But, yeah, and then, of course, 2017 too, you know, having the pole position, that famous um, lap that McLaughlin set, you know, the fastest lap in... Um, uh, shootout history at Bathurst qualifying lap then you know to have a engine problem during the middle of the race um, was pretty pretty heartbreaking too so he only just I just realized as well or I didn't realize I knew this all along it was the first time he was on a Bathurst podium last year 2018 so that was pretty big and then for Van Gisbergen of course 2016 I think it was um, finishing just behind Will Davison and John O'Webb in the car that he used to drive in the Techno um, Autosports Holden. So uh, Van Gisbergen has been on the podium there too, but, you know, I'm guessing that it's all about going for the win. Let's have a look at some of the key combos, I guess, not just for Bathurst, but for the Enduro Cup because we've got three races um, with Gold Coast 600 and then the Sandown 500 to curtail the um, season of endurance this time. And, of course... You know the Enduro Cup is online for on the line for whoever scores the most points at the end of it. Um, so starting off, I guess with the top guys, top teams. So you're looking at Triple Eight um, Red Bull Holden Racing Team with uh, 97 Van Gisbergen together with Garth Tander this year. So I know it's like the tenth or <laughs> whatever millionth different co-driver that Van Gisbergen's had over the past few years. But you know when you look at the his time at Red Bull Holden Racing Team. 
since 2016, he's had a new co-driver every year. So, you know, Alex Premer was there for him in that first year. Then he had Matt Campbell. Then uh, Errol Bamba last year, of course, um, former uh, Porsche World Endurance Championship uh, driver, Le Mans winner. And then now this year, paired up with Garth Tander. So I guess having those international guys previously was great. But, you know, this year he's got someone who's just fresh out of supercars, you know, only racing full-time last year and then of course getting the sack from Gary Rogers Motorsport Tanda exactly like Van Gisberg and a hard and a hard being in a hard racer um so I guess those guys will go really well together you know Van Gisberg and he's got that qualifying speed in him he can do the one lap stuff and then in the race you know you can just leave Tanda to hold his own and a name like Tanda is something that against, you know, other co-drivers, I guess, who would be quite terrifying given that he is so aggressive and gets the job done quite quite a lot. So imagine if you threw Tander into starting the race amongst other co-drivers or whatever, if they decide to do co-drivers in the first uh, stint on Sunday, then, you know, Tander is someone who could make up some serious ground, you know, depending on where they qualify as well. Uh, car 888, of course, so it's uh, Win Cup's car 88 that changes its number for the um, Enduro Cup to 888 um, because he'll be partnered with Craig Lowndes this year. So Lowndes, of course, um, and Win Cup have won three Bathursts in a row together between 2006 and um, 2008, uh, back when they were in the Ford together, but at the same team. So first time that they've come back together. Uh, Lowndes, of course, the reigning Bathurst champion, going for his seventh, um, sorry, his eighth Bathurst 1000 title. Um, he's got seven under his belt. And, of course, Win Cup hasn't won since 2012 when he was with Paul Dumbrell. So he'll be targeting a fifth Bathurst this year. And, you know, for Win Cup, I guess, he's had so many issues in the past few years. Hasn't been on the podium, actually, since 2013 um, when he finished runner-up to Mark Winterbottom in the Ford um, Performance Racing car. So, you know, it's about just minimising mistakes, I guess. And last year for Triple Eight on that um, car number one it was last year for Win Cup and, and Umbrell. They just had so many finger troubles um, in the pit lane, of course. Um, wheel came off while Dumbrell was in the car, and that pretty much um, ruined their race for them. So hopefully this year they don't have that sort of luck. Um, and then you could see them totally winning, and particularly with these aero changes too. You know, we had practice today, um, three sessions uh earlier on in the first session Jamie Wincup straight out of the blocks was fastest so that's one thing to I guess keep an eye on all weekend especially if you're going to be one of those people following the whole Commodore storyline about whether these aero changes have really just helped them into a position to win this weekend uh, it's you know every time I think about it it just it just disappoints me that this is what they've had to do to make one team happy or one um manufacturer happy it just it doesn't sit right with me at all you know not talking as a Ford fan I just think as far as fair competition is goes fair game it's like why it feels like you know Ford has been penalized for having the better car or whatever so that's the way I see it anyway um speaking of Ford you know they're going to be strong too this weekend you know we've had obviously car 17 with the McLaughlin and Premo are going to be strong I think an underrated lineup and um, driver combo is their teammates at DGR team Penske and that's Fabian Coulthard and Tony Dalberto who've been quite handy here in the past 
Uh, also, Cameron Waters and Michael Caruso in the number six Monster Energy car down at Tickford too. So Caruso, another guy just um, fresh out of the main game, having uh, not found a drive for this year. And he was racing for Nissan Motorsport last year and several years beforehand. So he's together with Cam Waters, who've been pretty quick here in the past, um, who has been pretty quick here in the past, I should say, look like there'll be a lethal combination too. So, you know, and that car last time out in Pukekohe really you know, got some genuine pace in it, so I reckon they'll be a force to, to be reckoned with as well, as will Car 55, of course, uh, Chas Mostert and James Moffat, Moffat was quickest in the co-driver only practice session today in the middle of the day, so, you know, Car 55's looking pretty strong, you can't rule out the 23 car either, the, Milwa- the Milwaukee um, racing one with the Davison brothers on board, so Will Davison, of course, a two-time Bathurst winner, his uh, brother Alex um, hunting for his first, and I think it could be his best chance yet um, in this uh, 23 red racing car, and then don't rule out Lee Holdsworth either with the Bathurst rookie in Thomas Randall stepping up. Car 18, uh, former Bathurst winners reunited, so Team 18 with a Mark Winterbottom on board this year, Charlie Schwerkolt team. They've been looking pretty strong at times during the year, particularly in qualifying. You know, they haven't quite broken that um, podium drought yet for that team. Oh, well, they have not scored a podium, I'm pretty sure, in the history of that team. So, you know, those guys will be looking forward to having a good weekend. And I think that given that, you know, they don't really have a championship to fight for. I think they've probably been focusing on Bathurst all year to, to win in the Enduros, you know, especially with Stephen Richards now coming back uh, to partner Winterbottom. Both of them, of course, won Bathurst in 2013. So ever since they announced that those guys would be together, I've been pretty excited. Um, Richards, of course, won Bathurst last year with Lowndes and is a five-time winner himself. Um, so, you know, he's pretty handy around here, you know, he's been racing in Porsche Carrera Cup all year, so, you know, he'll be race fit, and of course, with a familiar driver like Winterbottom, they'll do well, uh, car 27, um, which is a wild card entry, the wild card entry, the other one is the Kostecki Brothers Racing, raced by cousins Jake and Brody, which should be, um, they should be exciting to watch, but, um, in particular, Car 27, there'll be a lot of attention on them, um, given that the international wild card fielded by Walkinshaw and Dreddy United, um, James Hinchcliffe and Alexander Rossi, the IndyCar stars, and I'll be watching them quite closely too, because as you guys know, I'm a big Rossi fan, Alexander Rossi, that is, um, as well as Valentino Rossi too, but you know, it's no chance that we're going to see him come and do Bathurst, is there? Who knows? Maybe one day in the future. But, um, yeah, no, uh, watching those IndyCar guys, it'll be interesting. You know, of course, they weren't, um, you know, they were bottom of the timesheets in the practice sessions today, but, you know, that's to be expected given that this is their first time driving those um, cars around um, that car, I should say, uh, driving that car around Bathurst, of course. You know, they've both, you know, been taken aback by what it is, Mount Panorama, and I guess the presentation and everything they were talking about in the media coverage, so really good to see those guys, and hopefully they'll be in a competitive position by the pointy end of the weekend. Same thing with car number two, so um, the one shared by Scott Pye and Warren Luff, so even though they've not been very strong all year car-wise um, at Walkinshaw and Dreddy United, I still think that at this time of year, Enduro time, they do 
come on song a little bit, you know, and we saw that in the practice sessions sessions today. Warren Luff has just been solid, you know, if I think he's been on the podium at Bathurst five times in the last seven years or some ridiculous stat like that, you know, there's, you know, he was there with Lowndes in 2013 and then with Garth Tander, um, and then the last two years he's been on the podium with um, Scott Pye, you know, runners-up last year, I believe. Um, so they're always in a good position come the uh, pointy end of the race, those guys, and Pye as well, you know, who's his future still unsecure, you know, a good showing during the Enduro Cup, I think, will really secure his future, whether it is with the same team or elsewhere. And then, of course, you've got your Erebus guys as well, car number 9 and 99, unfortunately to see... Um, Luke Yulden, the 2017 Bathurst winner with David Reynolds, crashed the car today. Um, 20G impact at the top of the hill, unfortunately. Uh, car needing repairs overnight, so hopefully they get that done. But more important, more importantly, it was good to see that Yulden was okay and got out of the car. So they'll be fighting fit for tomorrow if the car gets repaired. And stunning liveries as, as well, I should say, on those Erebus cars, the liquid gold with the Penrite um, uh, livery on board. So great to see those guys um, embrace the gold stuff again for Bathurst as they did last year. And looking at 99 as well, um, Anton Di Pasquale, again, together with Will Brown, those guys last year were very, very fast. And Di Pasquale, especially during qualifying, you know, he was, I think in the top 10 shootout he was third so and it was just in the race that there was a few rookie errors that um, caused them to have the troubles that they did but otherwise I think you know this year we've seen Di Pasquale mature and you know this time of year where it is you know there's more on the line and I guess for Erebus who are not really in that championship battle right now for them I think winning the Enduro Cup or winning races during the Enduro season is going to be more important. So, and I think Di Pasquale, together with Will Brown, are absolute contenders. You know, given that they've uh, done we they've done well here in the past. Now, I mentioned the top 10 shootout before, and if you guys have been paying attention to the podcast over the last few weeks, talked a bit about the top 10 shootout in regards to potentially taking it over to F1. I still think it's a good idea. Um, regardless of the whatever F1's doing to address their qualifying um, format in the future. But over here at Bathurst, it's a great accolade to have. You know, it's a glory lap, whoever can do it. But it's not really the key to race success, you know. The last time we saw pole position, uh, the driver on pole position go on to win the race was back in 2009. So, you know, Garth Tander with... Um, Will Davison that year so you know it's one of the most incredible laps you could see the driver versus Bathurst and looking at you know the Greg Murphy lap of the gods Scott McLaughlin doing it um, a couple of years ago and even David Reynolds's pole lap last year as well it's just something spectacular just watching these drivers tackle that circuit and this is where I just want to wax lyrical a little bit about Bathurst and it's just incredible aura that it has you know I think the you know from the first time I went there I just knew that if you watch it on TV you play it in a video game you look at photos of it it doesn't do the place any justice until you see it in person where you're driving in say or taking the train in if you're coming on train and you can actually see the Mount Panorama, the white lettering across the top of the mountain from a distance, you know, and there you know that you're, you're heading somewhere special. Then when you arrive at the circuit, you know, you walk in through the main gate, you know, you've got the grandstand on your right, you've got, you know, the 
final corner, Murray's corner on your left, got the bridge to the um, the paddock area, and of course where the transporters and the garage, the garages are. It's yeah, you know, just when you're in that place, there's just a feeling about it that you know you're somewhere special, and you know. I've only been to one Bathurst 1000 back in 2015 when uh, Lowndes won with Richards in the Red Bull car, but, you know, going to the Bathurst 12-hour a couple of times and, of course, again next year. Um, every time you're there, it's just something special, you know. Top of the mountain is exactly what people say it is and more, you know. It's one of those great places to watch racing, you know, particularly given how close the concrete walls are, you know. People talk about circuits like Nürburgring or Spa that are very challenging in the world of motorsport but you know Bathurst is needs to be talked about in the same breath as those guys because you know Nürburgring it was funny actually watching one of the programs during the week um, leading up to the preview and Craig Baird um, was talking about how drivers say that they love the Nürburgring you know but secretly inside they hate it because of how daunting it is you know and Bathurst is almost like a hybrid of Nürburgring and Spa because you know Spa you've got the undulation you've got going up Eau Rouge and then the descent of course um, coming back down whereas um, you know Bathurst is a combination of those two things and you know the lap part of the lap across the top of the mountain is just you know, from the cutting, basically, is where it gets terrifying because, you know, you come out of Griffin's Bend and then you start going left and then that's when the walls really close in on you and it just it just goes up, like, all of a sudden, you know. And while you watch it on TV or even in a video game, if you've done a few laps of the circuit, that part where it starts to go up, you can't really tell how steep it is by looking at it there. When, you, when you're there and you see it, you're like whoa and I would really love to be able to either drive a car around there one day or even just do a walk of the circuit you know just I'm sure I'll kill my calves <laughs> uh, trying to maybe ride a bicycle or something up there but yeah even just trying to walk up there I'm sure will be a challenge you know of how the incline goes up then you know when you're on the approach to your to the metal grade to you know reed park mcfilamy park on the way to skyline that's just terrifying you know because when you're behind the fence up there watching you're like that just looks so terrifying and the drivers are coming in at whatever speed they're coming in at and then for skyline because it's blind as you go over it's like you know how late do you break or you know touch the brake you know to to come back down and my favorite spot i think to to watch as i've done with a 12 hour for the last few years is that i go underneath skyline so as they come over you see them coming down and wow you know the commitment of these drivers up there is just something totally different and then of course you know when you're coming down you go through the s's the dipper and then on the way to forest elbow before you blast onto conrad straight so it is just an incredible, incredible lap. And, you know, guys, you got to do yourself a favour. You've got to go to Bathurst one day, whether it's, um, you know, the 1000 or any other event that they have, 12-hour, they've got the 6-hour as well. And good to see that TCR Australia is going to head there as well um, from next year. So do yourselves a favour, go to Bathurst, it's epic, it's everything that people say it is and hopefully the exposure internationally just continues to grow, um, you know, with this year's event and of course, you know, into the future too, so 
yeah, that's that's all I got to say about you know, you know my personal experiences with Bathurst. But as far as the racing goes there as well over the years, it's been it's been pretty chaotic. And in recent times, I guess if you want to look back at this last decade, you know you've had some pretty classic races. Um, 2012, of course, you know, Wind Cup and Reynolds at the end fighting there. You got the 2010, I think, victory was the last time, you know, Mark Scaife raced there and won with uh, Craig Lowndes, 2011. Garth Tander winning with Nick Perkout, who at the time was very young too. So, youngest winner at Bathurst, I think, Nick Perkout. And then, you know, from there, you had back-to-back years for Ford Performance Racing, uh, Winterbottom winning it with uh, Richards, of course, in 13, then 14, that epic race, which had the, you know, the red flag in the middle of the race, you know, where it was stopped for about a couple of hours to repair the track. And then, of course, um, Chas Mostert winning from last on the grid because Jamie Wincup ran out of fuel on the final lap. You know, both those guys started on the back row of the grid and came back leading one and two, and it was... Um, Mostert with Paul Morris that won that year then 15 of course Lowndes again in 17 they won together Lowndes and Richards very um, emotional when Lowndes does win of course being you know that guy most like Peter Brock and Peter Brock's um, record of nine wins at the track at the event in the past you know and Lowndes now within two of them so whether this year he can um, you know then take that eighth one we'll wait and see and then yeah you know within one victory of um equaling peter brock's record will be quite something special will be quite something special <laughs> just getting my words mixed up here yeah and you know 2017 as well with um reynolds winning of course uh, described at the time as a david versus goliath effort you know taking on the big teams especially erebus for them it was a special win in their history given what they've been through throughout their tenure in um, the supercars category. And then last year, um, the heartbreak that we had with Reynolds, you know, losing the race with a leg cramps, it just goes to show you that it's a long race and anything can happen. 161 laps over a thousand kilometers. So many interventions of the safety car as well. You know, safety cars can breed safety cars. And I guess that's the spectacle of endurance racing in total is that, um, or as a whole, is that, you know, there's so many variables that come into play. It's not about who, not necessarily about who's fastest on the day, you know, it can, it's about who can survive, who makes it to the end of the day, basically, because we've seen, you know, the likes of Wind Cup in commanding positions before, um, and then, you know, 2015, he goes and bins it by, you know, passing the safety car when the lights are still on or whatever, gets a penalty for that. Um, then, of course, you know, 2016, when that ha- crash happened with McLaughlin and, and Tander, then last year with the wheel coming off as well, halfway through the race, it just goes to show you that there's, you know, never a definitive outright favourite, you know, that can win it, you know, maybe not as many in the recent past as we would have liked to have, but other years, of course, you know, we have had your outright favourites to go on and win, and of course, you know, that streak that Wind Cup and Lowndes had uh, between 06 and 08, you know, that's a testament of that, you know, how they were odds-on favourite, of course, back in 06. Um, sorry, they weren't the favourite, like, oh, they weren't the odds going favourites, um, but they were favourites to most that day, you know, given that Peter Brock had passed away earlier in the year um, and Lowndes, you know, it was going to be an emotional one for him and he was the right 
driver to win it on the day in memory of the great Brock. So yeah, that's uh, a little bit about that. And that's just what I find the spectacle of endurance racing. And I think for Bathurst as well, you know, with the Australian tradition as well, it's all about getting together, you know, get your friends around, family or whatever, make an event of it at home as well. If you're not at the track itself, you know, I'm sure a lot of people will make an event of it at home. I always do here as well, you know, put on some food, um, watch the race all day. Of course, there's that thing called the Japanese Grand Prix, which always gets in the way as well. But, you know, for the for the race itself, for the whole weekend, I think it's it's special and it's just hard to go past, and every year I love it, I love talking about it, you know, it's had its highs and lows, but, you know, for me, it's always going to be that one that I really look forward to, and this is no, it's no, it's not like, you know, oh yeah, this is, uh, I talk more about F1, I love F1, I love everything about F1, but for me, Bathurst, like if F1 raced at Bathurst, that would be the ultimate dream for me, I think, but obviously that's not possible, but Bathurst still has its unique challenge and whatever cars do race on there, I do follow. So it's um, nothing short of incredible, that place. So I'm really, really looking forward to seeing the rest of the weekend. There's been documentaries and there's been past races on during the week, which has got me hyped up as well, looking at them. I think if there's the, the 2014 one on in the background, I can uh, kind of hear what's going on with that, with that one. So, you know, just the whole thing that, you know, it comes, we enjoy it, and then, you know, you look forward to doing it again next year. So, yeah, again, hard one to predict. You could say what's going to happen this weekend, same with the Japanese Grand Prix, but, you know, you'd be hoping that it isn't just a complete walkover by the big teams and um, particularly Triple Eight, you know, who have sort of benefited from these recent, uh, from these recent um, aero changes that they've done on the, the Commodore. So before we move on from supercars, I wanted to just quickly adjust, um, adjust, where did that come from? Uh, address, that's the word I'm looking for adjust how did i get adjust from address that's just just very weird anyway i wanted to address some of the silly season news that's been going on in recent times and of course we heard that james courtney was going to be leaving walkinshaw and dreddy united after the uh bend super sprint um about a month ago now and it's been confirmed in the lead up to bathurst that he's going to be joining this new Sydney-based team that they're, that's going to join the grid next year that's going to be pushed by um, a motorsport-based guy who I don't know too much about. I've heard him, heard of him before, you know, race GT cars, uh, Rod Salmon, um, and in partnership, of course, with uh, Techno Autosports as well. So Techno are going to be bringing their wreck into that uh, Sydney team next year to make sure they have a two-car team. Um Boost Mobile potentially on board as a sponsor as well. That hasn't been confirmed yet, but it's looking likely given that their deal with um, GRM this year might be going down the toilet because of um, a performance clause and which GRM haven't really met. So, you know, with uh, JC already locked in as one of the drivers, you know, the talk about who the second driver is going to be is... Uh, is pretty big at the moment, you know, if it's going to be Boost Mobile that's going to sponsor the team, then you'd think that they'd want to pluck Richie Stanaway away, <clears throat> Richie Stanaway away, Stanaway away, Stanaway away, Stanaway away, <laughs> it could be a song, 
No, um, they want to get Stanaway um, over to that team, I'd imagine, because the Boost boss is a big fan of his and pretty much got him in the car there at GRM. Not that Stanaway is a pushover, he's a great driver, but, um, you know, I guess the results haven't been as good for him since he, he had that win with Cam Waters in the Enduro Cup a few years ago. So... For those guys, yeah, setting up a new team, it'll be interesting. Close alliance, I guess, with Triple Eight too, because Techno have had that alliance with them. Um, where does that leave guys like Jack LeBrock, though, who is the incumbent at Techno Autosports? Well, it's likely he'll move to Tickford, or back to Tickford, as we should say, um, given that he was in their Super 2 team a while ago. Um, move back to Tickford to replace Chaz Mostert, who will be on his way to Walkinshaw and Dreddy United. Not yet confirmed, but that seems to be where all the um, stars are aligning at the moment. And of course, you know, who's going to be Mostert's teammate at Walkinshaw and Dreddy United remains to be seen. And, you know, there's been a lot of comments about Walkinshaw and Dreddy United as well, ever since James Courtney announced that he was leaving about the commitment in that team, particularly from team owner Ryan Walkinshaw, that he's not like a Roland Dane type figure. It's not really on everyone as um, Dane is and whether they're actually going to get out of the hole that they're in at the moment. Like, I I honestly don't know. Um, I'd say given the boost of resources that they've got now that they could turn around their fortunes and I would really love them too because they're a great team. You know, they've been in the sport for such a long time. You know, obviously... Back before Ryan Walkinshaw, there was his father, Tom Walkinshaw, then their days as the Holden Racing Team as well. There's still a very successful business here in Melbourne, you know, with HSV. Walkinshaw as well as a tuning company for Holden Products, and now they do the Chevrolet Camaro if you want to buy one here in Australia. So, you know, for them, getting some success would be great, and they've had it all this time, but um, at the moment it's just gone begging for them and as I said before you know Enduro Cup might be the time for them to really step up their game and you know there's just something about this time of year that they do very well you know we saw it with Scott Pye over the last few years and even last year they had a pretty shocking season after the first part where you know Pye actually won in Melbourne at the Grand Prix so who knows this year they might uh, do well again here at Bathurst so you gotta you can't rule them out so that's that's about it, I guess, with the supercar stuff. Really excited to watch Bathurst this weekend, and I'm sure there'll be plenty to discuss next week when we uh, wrap it all up. So now, I guess, going into the last part of this week's episode, Hit the Globe, talking about um, all the other stuff that I took in over the weekend or the last week, and starting off with the NRL Grand Final, of course, the last we're going to be talking about footy, I guess. If you guys uh, don't really want to hear about footy, sure, why not? <laughs> um, this, will the, this is going to be the last you hear of it for 2019 from me. Um, and that's Sydney Roosters going back-to-back um, as Premiers, beating Canberra Raiders by six points. So I guess the real controversy in that game was down to that ref's decision um, where uh, Canberra would deny a repeat set of six. You know, first the ref says set a six uh, to Canberra, then just overturns the decision straight away and that's where that controversy came from and you know a lot has been discussed and digested throughout the week about whether you know it really caused them was the real cause of their defeat or should they have had a better first half or this and that it what it just says is that it's just poor refereeing again you know that you know they're not really making up their minds properly and it's just very indecisive 
Um, where it looks worse is the fact that um, while it was a tight game, Sydney went on to score off the next play, you know, scored a try with James Tedesco on the next play. And that's, you know, basically where after that Canberra just fell flat and that was the game. So that's where it looked bad, I guess. But, you know, all the accolades for the Roosters, I guess, first team since Brisbane in 92-93 to win back-to-back in the NRL modern era. Cooper Cronk, three grand final wins in a row for him um, is going to be something special now that he's retired you know do you talk about him potentially being an immortal even though you know he's not really mentioned in those conversations a lot but you know nine grand finals in his 16 seasons as a player such an influential player too in the game whether it's when it was with the storm or playing for Queensland playing for Australia and now for the Sydney Roosters um, they've had a pretty good season um, you know they've had a pretty good run out of Cronks since uh, he came on board last year. So, you know, you got to see them, yeah, you know, powerhouse Sydney Roosters. And I guess for Canberra, it's like, well, surely or hopefully they can repeat this performance or repeat this run to the grand final next year because, you know, they've been a strong team all year. Perhaps, you know, the stronger team on the day as well, but just denied by um, what's uh, going on with the refs and you know the bunker and all that sort of thing so yeah that's it for for the football stuff um you know we'll go come back to it next year It'll be a bit more exciting a bit more refreshed that it's a new season we're looking forward to but otherwise it's been pretty enjoyable i gotta say for the most part this year apart from when refs make silly decisions but you know i'm not gonna go and bash the refs on this podcast um there's enough of that out there already and you know it's important to know that those guys, they do a good job, um, you know, they're doing their job, they've got, you know, feelings and emotions, and, you know, they've got families as well that, you know, people on social media seem to want to target um, the faceless people, which is uh, very, very distressing, I guess, you know, because, yeah, people are just awful sometimes, so, yeah, there's that's why I'm not going to really there's no point going public with that sort of stuff, uh, ref bashing and all that, and they're just doing their job. They can certainly do it a lot better. I think that's the better way to put it, but there's certainly no, there's no warranting for abuse and that sort of thing. So yeah, I just kind of want to see that stop in the future if if it's possible, you know. I'm sure there's other things as well that, you know, I'd like for to happen in the world of sport or just in the world in general, where people can just be more tolerant of each other and accepting, but it's, uh, yeah, we'll leave it at that um, for now. So at least, you know, we can, we in a small group or whatever can can do something about it for now and hopefully the rest of the world will catch on. Um, moving it back to racing in, you know, two wheels as well. So MotoGP over the weekend, we had Mark Marquez seal his sixth, uh, MotoGP title, his eighth overall um, last battle, sorry, last lap battle with Fabio Quattararo where he denied Quattararo again for the win and I guess he wanted to seal that title in style as well so Mark Marquez has just been incredible since he's moved into MotoGP in 2013 winning in his rookie year and now I guess within one MotoGP, one, uh, one MotoGP title uh, one Premier Class title of Valentino Rossi, so whether Marquez will be able to do that next year, hopefully not, because, you know, we want some more competition um, 
on his case, and he's certainly come out and said that he reckons Quattararo will be a title rival for him next year. And I think, you know, for all the neutrals out there and um, fans of Quattararo, they'll be hoping for that, certainly. And same thing, I guess, in World Superbike, too. I didn't really talk about this last week, but um, the last round of Manny Course in France um, a couple of weeks ago saw Jonathan Ray win his fifth consecutive Superbike title, um, 129 points over uh, Alvaro Batista, who at the start of the year I was saying he could win the title because he went on that incredible run of wins, you know, first year with Ducati and, you know, Ray was runner-up the whole time, but then Batista just had a, uh, you know, rotten luck of run of form and he was crashing every race and this and that and Ray was o- was able to overturn the, the deficit and now win the championship by 129 points, which is a huge margin when you think about it. So, you know, that guy, is anyone going to be able to stop him? Will it be Bautista? Because he's moving to the factory Honda team next year. So whether the Hondas will be able to challenge the uh, Kawasaki's on which um, Mr. Ray is currently uh, on board, we'll have to wait and see. But... Um, yeah, what a what a incredible turnaround for for Ray, and I guess that's you know a testament of how good a champion he is. That he this year, I guess, he's had that challenge of the other driver, sorry, other rider in Bautista, who's not exactly a pushover. Because I said, you know, after spending a few years in MotoGP where he wasn't really achieving much, you know, his uh, his talent has really come to the four in World Superbike, so I certainly think he'll be able to do more um, over the next few years, and if uh, he can um, challenge Ray next year for the title, I think that'll be really exciting as well, so that's for the Superbikes, that's MotoGP, of course we've got a few races to go in both categories in MotoGP, the Australian Grand Prix coming up, Um, well we're off to Motegi next, next week in Japan, and then the Australian Grand Prix the week after at Phillip Island. So a lot of exciting times ahead in this part of the world. And, um, you know, you can kind of feel, get that feeling that the seasons are coming to an end, you know, with Lewis Hamilton potentially on the cusp of his sixth world championship, which could be achieved next time out in Mexico. Or Yeah, Mexico's next up, sorry. Next time out in Mexico, you know, it's not going to happen this week because... Um, he doesn't have enough points, but Mercedes can definitely win the Constructors' Championship if they have a 1-2 finish, so um, there'll be that permutation on, on hand, but um, yeah, you know, when, when you see these championships being clinched, I guess it does kind of um, bring about the end of the year for you, and also, um, you know, you quickly turn into reflection mode and look back at the year and everything, and yeah, we are like in October now, so I guess uh, <laughs> it's time, yeah, to, to wind up the motorsport season and look back, but we've still got plenty of racing to go, so not going to get teary-eyed just yet and uh, mellow and reflective, so <laughs> let's um, let's uh, leave it at that. Anyway, thanks guys for tuning in this week for the podcast. It's uh, been a good one talking about Bathurst and um, look forward to if you guys want to share any of your favourite Bathurst memories on Twitter, just go on to uh, our profile at Hit the Apex Media and you'll be able to do that. Um, otherwise, you know, thanks for tuning in. Uh, you you know where to find us on all the platforms and everything. Got all the links in the description um, in the show notes and all that. And um, 
yeah, hopefully next week we've got plenty to talk about, um, whether it's Japanese Grand Prix or uh, or the Bathurst 1000. So thanks for tuning in and um, see you guys next week.